Welcome. You are listening to the Upper Room Podcast. For more information or to donate to this ministry, visit URFellowship.com. And say, well, it, I'll be, you know, it'll be better down the road. Let me tell you something. If you don't change your direction, you're going to arrive exactly where you're going. Remember uh, the wisdom of the ancient Chinese fortune cookie I talked about last week. So what we want to do is kind of assess currently where we're at, play that out, and make the necessary course adjustments. Because bad days make for bad months, make for bad years, make for bad decades. And so let's ch- let's kind of make the changes we need to now and get get kind of turned back towards some health. Let's fine-tune it and say, look, are we at the place where our souls are in a healthy, sustainable rhythm? And if not, let's do something about that. Let's have good days and build them together. <clears throat> and I'm admittedly, in this series, just I'm preaching to myself. Okay? I always am, uh, but especially this one. I'm preaching to myself more than I'm preaching to anybody. So this isn't like me up here. Uh, this is, you know, hey, you people. This is, this is us. Okay? So Mark 1.9 says this. It says, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And at once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. Okay, so... So, wow, there's a lot going on. Heaven's torn open, angels, wild animals, wilderness. And I've always kind of had a hard time with this, kind of trying to make sense of this all. So what's this, what's this all about? Baptism was great, and then he gets, he gets into the desert, the wilderness, and the devil's there. And then there's kind of this, you must pass these three trials kind of thing. Turn rocks into bread, jumping off stuff, and angels catching you. Uh, bow down and worship me, I'll give you the kings of the world. I've always read it, and I think I've even heard it taught that this wilderness testing is like some sort of strenuous, grueling challenge. And if Jesus could make it through the 40 days, if he could succeed where the first Adam failed, that's how we've kind of heard it, right? Jesus is the second Adam. Jesus is the one who would step into this desolate wilderness where Adam was in a perfect circumstance, a flourishing garden, trees full of fruit, everybody was happy, naked and unashamed. But even in that perfect situation, Adam fell. So Jesus was going to come to this anti-Eden, this desert, this bad land. But Jesus was unwilling to eat that forbidden fruit. Actually, it was forbidden carbs, which I would have a little bit of a hard time with. I'm going to be honest with you. Fruit, I could kind of take or leave. But you give me some some hot bread, some olive oil, right? Rub that right on my face. maybe a little too much early in a sermon. So Jesus, like, turned down all the carbs, all that. And how I've always kind of seen it is, he's, he's there in the wilderness, and he sort of hates it, and it's horrible, and he's getting weaker and weaker. And then at, like, the 40-day mark, he's so weak, and the devil shows up, and Jesus is barely hanging on. But he somehow manages to rally himself. He's emaciated and sick, but still somehow he prevailed. And I think all that presupposes what I believe is maybe a fallacy. Maybe that... The fallacy is that Jesus did not like the wilderness, or they somehow objected to being there. 
And if that's the case, then the rest of the gospel accounts don't make much sense. Like, what are you going to do with Mark chapter 1, verse 35, which says, er, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. Same idea in the original language, wilderness places, where he prayed. You have a little bit of time before the day begins, what are you going to do, Jesus? I want to be in the wilderness. Mornings, he was hanging out there. We're also told this in Matthew's Gospel 14, verse 23. After he had sent them away. So this is talking about the crowds that kind of followed him. So this is after a hard day's work. He went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When the evening came, he was there alone. This isn't being pushed to some horrible challenge. This is him of his own doing. After a crazy day of work, realizing I'm depleted. I'm pretty spent. You know what's, what I need to reinvigorate me? The wilderness. And it wasn't just mornings and nights either, because Luke's gospel tells us, Luke 5, verses 15 and 16, it says, But the news about Jesus spread all the more, and great crowds came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he frequently withdrew to the wilderness to pray. So the idea is not that this is somehow some awful thing, but Jesus endured it. This wasn't Jesus being forced to a place of weakness. I think this was being, Jesus being led to a place of strength. What I'm saying is that the Spirit didn't lead Jesus into the wilderness so he could be tempted. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness because he was going to be tempted. This temptation is coming. This hard thing is coming. You have this whole huge ministry about to begin. You need to start it off with a full tank. I think Jesus overcoming the temptation wasn't made more difficult by his time in the wilderness. It was possible because of his time in the wilderness. It was only possible to withstand all that was about to come because he was willing to first have this wilderness time of being alone with the Father and fasting and praying in a desolate place. You have to understand, this isn't torture for Jesus. This is a tactic for Jesus. This is a strategy. Jesus says, the same, you know, if the devil's coming, if Lucifer himself is going to show up, I've got to be ready. So Jesus here is getting strong by being in a wilderness. Why? Because there he found quiet. We talked about this last week. If you missed the message, it was really all central to, really all about, you know, central to this healthy soul thing is, is to come to a place where we know how to calm and quiet our souls. We live in a very loud world. We live in a world that's anything but calm, anything but quiet. Jim Collins said, we live in a cacophonous age full of swarming insects, Noise and interruptions, buzzing about emails, text messages, cable news, advertisements, cell phones, meetings, wireless web connections, social media posts. We run the risk of waking up at the end of the year having accomplished little of significance, each year slipping by in a flurry of activity pointing nowhere. It seems like somewhere along the way, we've developed an aversion to silence, doesn't it? We must be disciplined people who create the quiet space for disciplined thought and summon the strength for disciplined action. In the wilderness, Jesus had the strength to overcome temptation because he had created the space for, for thought and self-reflection and self-awareness. He was centered and anchored. He was energized. His soul was in a good rhythm, so he was ready for what would come next. So now before we go any further, let's just acknowledge the time that we're living in. Let's acknowledge that we've made a little bit of a mess of things. I think 2007 is when it really began, really started. 2007 is when the iPhone was invented. Steve Jobs held it up for the first time with his black turtleneck on. And now, 
All of recorded history is in our pocket. All of Wikipedia, every bit of knowledge there's ever been, the ability to have ceaseless communication and input coming at you all the time. I'm not, I'm not, even, I'm not just talking about the negative stuff. We talked last week about Netflix and Instagram and stuff a little bit, but now let's just talk about the positive stuff. The TED Talks, the YouTube lectures, college courses, podcasts. You could live a life where you are constantly, ceaselessly receiving good things, good inputs. And let's say you're not on Instagram and you're not on Netflix too much. You've limited those things, but now it's the good stuff. There's this, you know, this sermon podcast and there's new worship albums out and you could have, be having good input coming in all the time. And it's possible in a way it never was before in the history of the world to banish quiet from your existence, from the moment you wake up until the moment you fall asleep. Sometimes after you fall asleep. Just little TV noise to help me sleep. We have Bluetooth speakers in our shower now. I won't raise you, make you raise your hand if you have one of those. But that used to be sacred time. It's never in the history of mankind been possible like it is to now to have such good, right, incredible complex inputs coming in all the time. We never have to stop taking in if we don't want to. But the question is, with all the good things that have been added in the last decade, what have we given up? Because Jesus said it's possible to gain the whole world and lose your soul. One translation says you can lose touch of your very, with your very self. I also just read that, and this, this is in Cal Newport's book, Digital Minimalism. He talks about how your brain, when receiving information like a TED Talk or a podcast or a book on Audible, it cannot disengage the social side of who you are. And so what happens is you're hearing somebody talk, but part of you, the social side of you, thinks it's a friend speaking to you. So you're taking in the content, but you feel like you're having a moment with somebody. But let me tell you something. That reader is in a little studio in Nashville, not in your car with you, right? You're not having a social moment in that experience. So the tragic side of that is you can feel fatigue and overload of the social side of you so that you're less likely to want to engage in actual face-to-face relationships. Because part of you is like, I already had so much time with people, but you haven't. And the tragedy is that, guess what? Those authors, those podcasters are not coming to the hospital when your kid's in the emergency room. Right? They don't know your garage door code, and they're not going to be there if something happens. And so what are we giving up when we give up quiet? What are we giving up when we give up being just solitary? I love the quote from last week. It is no measure of health to be, to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. So I don't want 24-7 news coming into my head. I don't want nonstop audible coming into my head. I'm going to listen to some books and podcasts. I love audible books and podcasts. But I'm going to find time in my life to make my own wilderness. My phone's going away. Putting that thing on airplane mode, which works, by the way. To be alone, to be still. These are things that we all need to do. 24-7 prayer is coming up in July. It is a perfect opportunity to get alone and get quiet. And you can sign up at urfellowship.com. You just reserve a one-hour kind of private time slot to pray. Nobody else will be there. It's great. Another way to get alone and get quiet is get outside, go for walks. It's how Jesus got around. What is used throughout the Bible as an analogy for a relationship with God? It's walking. Eugene Peterson said, The virtual elimination of walking by the automobile has more than physical consequences, for it also diminishes spiritual perceptions. We get places faster. 
but we experience less. We're going to have to make our own wilderness if we're going to learn to quiet our souls. I was thinking the other day that maybe our pace of life makes all the stuff that we're learning about God a lot like skipping rocks across a pond. It never gets real deep. It never gets down where it changes our lives. It just skips across the surface of our souls, lands on the other side. There's this great story in 1 Kings 19. The prophet Elijah is really stressed out. And we know he's stressed out because he asked God to kill him. So if you want to just crawl in bed for a little bit, that's one thing. But when you're at a place where you're like, God, will you kill me? Uh, you're in a whole different place. Elijah asked to be killed by God, but God didn't kill him. God says instead, come to the mouth of the cave you're hiding in. So Elijah goes, and the, the Bible says that this violent wind sent by God caused bits of the mountain to shear off. The Bible's really clear that, to say that God was not in the wind. And then after the wind stopped, there was this violent earthquake, and the mountain began to shake. And although the scriptures are clear that God made the mountain shake, it's also clear that it did, he did not speak to Elijah in the earthquake. And then after that, the Bible says that there's this raging inferno, this fire. And although it was spectacular, the scriptures are very clear that God did not speak to Elijah in the fire. Here's why I love the Bible. The next line says, and then a gentle breeze or the still small voice. That's how we normally hear it. But Hebrew is such an interesting language. You see, in Hebrew, the same phrase, still small voice, can be translated as the word nothing. It can literally mean, and God spoke to Elijah in the nothing. So the wind stops blowing, the earth stops shaking, the fire dies out, and in the silence, God speaks. I'm wondering if that deep healing that we're really so hungry for isn't going to be found in one more successful meeting. Maybe it's not going to be happening in one more sermon or one more book or podcast where the truths of the Bible skip across the surface and onto the other side and never make it into the deep end. Maybe the healing that so many of us are hungry for occurs when we take this life out of fifth gear and slow it down a little bit. We need to stop and pray and quiet the soul and think and reflect and meditate and wrestle. Your life tells you where you are. This isn't complex. It's pretty simple. When was the last time you were in a solitary place? You have to ask yourself that question. When was the last time you really slowed things down and took a breath? When was the last time you were alone, just you and God? When was the last time you meditated on what our sacred literature says? Let's end with this thought. I could have preached this whole sermon on Paul, because before Paul ever preached anywhere, he, he also started in the wilderness. He did not go speak face-to-face with people. Uh, there, was a first, there was first a time of testing. Elijah, which I talked about, mightiest of the Old Testament miracle-working prophets. Not bad on a business card, and yet he had time in the wilderness fed by birds. Birds every day showed up with food for him. That wilderness time was responsible for the beautiful strength of character that was exhibited later on. I could have preached this whole sermon and used David as an illustration. He spent a decade in a cave while his father-in-law hunted him. Best thing that ever happened to him. The wilderness years. Wilderness was responsible for him being the greatest psalmist of Israel, the poet warrior king. It was those days in the wilderness. That's why later on he was like, I got to get back to the wilderness. I could have preached this whole sermon using Moses as the backdrop. Years in the middle of nowhere until one day he was present enough to see a bush on fire. When he was busy in Egypt, 
he might ever not have noticed the, the burning bush. But when he was in the wilderness, he was present and engaged enough, walking around the sheep in nature, alone, being silent, that he heard God speak. <clears throat> I could have used John the Baptist. Excuse me. <clears throat> John the Baptist showed up preaching everywhere. Everybody's coming out to hear him. Kings want to hear him. Poor people want to hear him. Roman soldiers want to hear him. Pharisees are mad at him, but secretly want to hear him. When they show up, he's like, who told you you could come, you snakes? Luke's gospel tells us, chapter 1, verse 80, John chose to live in a lonely wilderness until the day came when he was to be publicly displayed publicly to Israel. God did it then, he does it now. When he wants to make a man, when he wants to make a woman, he makes them in the wilderness. Can't have a quiet soul without quiet time. So let's fight for quiet time in our lives. Amen? Lord Jesus, help us. Bruce. Amen. In Psalm 46, it says, Be still and know that I am God, and I will be honored by every nation. I will be honored throughout the earth. That's pretty incredible. <laughs> and I feel like we should just take about 30 seconds here. I know we got kids and whatnot, but let's just have a moment of, of quietness and let God speak into our heart and uh, see what he is saying to us individually. Uh, even as the service began, there was that word about you know God having more for us and uh, just giving him our, our hearts in full and uh, taking down the fences that we put up there to protect ourselves but are actually keeping things out that are good like God <laughs> so Lord we would just quiet our soul here in this moment and ask that you would speak to us Lord we don't want to just hear a word and uh, let it roll off of us Lord but we want it to change us Lord Lord you said that it wasn't the hearers of your word that were blessed Lord but the doers of your word Lord so we're just going to quiet ourselves, Lord, and we ask that you'd speak to our hearts in this moment. In Jesus' name. Jesus, we thank you that you have promised to be with us wherever we go, Lord. That you will lead us beside still waters, Lord. You will restore our soul, Lord. You will be with us even in the midst of uh, when our enemies are surrounding us, Lord. You will prepare a feast for us, Lord. Lord, in your presence is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, Lord. Lord, there's nothing that compares to you, Lord. Nothing compares to time with you, Lord. Nothing compares, nothing's like your presence, Lord. 
Father, I pray that once again there would be just a fresh commitment, Lord, to, to find that place of your presence, Lord, to quiet our souls, to be in your, your midst, Lord, to have you speak to our hearts and regenerate them, Lord, like only you can, Lord. Lord, as you do that, we are strengthened. We are made new and made fully alive, Lord. Things are uh, washed away, Lord, and chains are broken, Lord. We are empowered, Lord, and we become more like you. So fill us with your love, Lord, in those times, Lord, that we might love a world that needs to know you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.